speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A number of years ago, I was honored to officiate at the wedding of the son of a senior warden of the church in which I was serving, and as I got to know the couple, they were really smart graduate students. I came to realize that the bride was, how shall I say, not much of a church person. In fact, like many other folks, she harbored some deep wounds from early religious experience. She was kind of done with church. And in my humble opinion, she maybe had not quite worked through all those issues yet. And apparently, premarital counseling was where we were going to work through those issues. Uh, She had agreed to a church wedding, as I thought, a kind and generous concession to a family for whom a church wedding meant a lot but she wasn't buying much of it. So our sessions turned into lengthy discussions about faith and science and theology. These two young people were much smarter than I am, so I had to be on my toes, and that was good for me. We celebrated a joyous wedding and said a thank you for my time with them. They gave me a book. It was entitled, The Bible Tells Me So, with a subtitle that spoke of how the Bible has been used and abused over the ages, right? A quick scan of the table of contents gives you the point. Talked about how the Bible had been used to defend slavery. Next chapter, how the Bible had been used to support the work of abolitionists. Next chapter, how the Bible had been used to keep women from leadership roles in church. Next chapter, how the Bible has been used to support the ordination of women. It went on and on. Um, the, The list went on, but on the cover of the book, uh, was, the, was a quote from Shakespeare, even the devil can quote scripture. And it's a direct lift from Merchant of Venice. And it's a quote derived from today's story, which Ryan just read. Jesus in the wilderness at the start of its ministry, where he meets the devil who puts him to the test in dueling visions of what it means to live in relationship with God. Let's just say it's quite a contest. It's quite a story, actually. It's a mysterious story, and I'm not sure that how well I will unpack it for you all. I know that your rector is a wise leader of a church, and a tribute to her wisdom is to invite a guest preacher to talk about this story on a Sunday like this. On one level, these three tests that that are given to Jesus, I think are meant simply to raise doubts in his mind about the path he'd chosen, the ministry to which he felt called, doubts underscored by the wilderness experience. Maybe you've experienced doubts like that. Maybe you know what the wilderness is like. Maybe you're in the wilderness this morning. I have, especially when I'm physically or spiritually hungry or hangry or tired or lost, doubts come to us for all kinds of reasons, making us wonder if grace is true, if God is real, if our call was a wrong number. That's especially true when we see how faith sometimes goes to work in our world and the things that religious people do. Gandhi, who toyed for years with conversion to Christianity, ultimately said, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. There's that angle to the story. Maybe there's a deeper angle as well to these tests. They are about how we see God at work in our lives. 
the devil asked Jesus, if you are the son of God, how will that relationship with God, how will your view of God shape your actions? Those are good Latin questions for all of us. How do our lives reflect what we say we believe? Do God's agenda and our own agenda actually line up? Anne Lamott issued this warning, you can safely assume you have created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the people you do. Len is a good time to reflect on all of that. So the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, if you are who you claim to be, then as you face the hunger prompted by 40 days of past fasting, disclaimer, I can barely miss a meal, why not just magically solve this problem? What's wrong with that? That temptation asks Jesus to use his relationship with God to ward off difficulty, to anesthetize himself to pain, to avoid it altogether, which makes us ask, is faith or religious observance or relationship with God something for our convenience, there to make us more comfortable? Jesus apparently didn't think so. He answers with scripture, one does not live by bread alone. There is more. He stayed in the wilderness with the hardship that that entailed. And as son of God, this journey begins, and he ultimately opted for the pathway we begin in this first days of Lent, the way of the cross. He chose the way of love, not convenience, based on the belief that in giving and sacrifice we receive and losing life, in losing life we find it. Now, it was not the easy way, and disciples know then and now that it's a hard path. They wrestle with that path. St. Teresa of Avila, one of the great saints of our tradition, on one of her missionary trips was thrown from her cart and she ended up in a puddle of mud. She sat in that puddle and raised her fist and looked up at heaven and said, God, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Test number two, the devil takes Jesus to the holy city, the center of religious authority, a place Jesus will go again and again until it finally puts him to death for a few days. In Shakespearean fashion, the devil quotes scripture. If you are the son of God, if what you say is true, prove it to me by tossing yourself off this skyscraper. If God is really on your side, God will show up. Again, the doubt is sown. Maybe God is not really on your side, Jesus. Jesus answers with scripture himself, refusing to put God to the test, a reflection of his own deep trust in God. Third time, the devil approaches Jesus. If you will worship me, all the power of the world will be yours. Maybe the devil was sowing doubts about where Jesus' power came from. On a deeper level, it puts this test to Jesus. Which is stronger? Which is stronger, the love of power or the power of love? Jesus reflects what we heard in the reading on Ash Wednesday from the Sermon on the Mount where he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's the related warning of a desert father who said, do not give your heart to that which does not satisfy your heart. Jesus is tempted by the devil to give his heart to something that ultimately can't deliver. Maybe that's a choice we face as well in Lent, in life. 
Now, perhaps these tests are telling us uh, that we face a choice as there always is a chance for ego to creep in and crowd the spirit. No one knows that better than clergy. I heard a friend of mine was administering ashes. I told the folks yesterday about this, administering ashes to people at her church on Long Island, and she uh, found herself in the middle of administering ashes uh, bragging to herself about how beautiful and artistic the cross on the forehead image was. And she, she suddenly realized pride had snuck into that religious observance. Maybe that happens to you. It certainly happens to clergy. And no one, I'm telling you, can diagnose it better than clergy spouses. <laughs> my, wife, my wife tells me that ego is really an acronym for edging God out. Maybe that sums up these temptations, making faith and religious observance serve our own interests, making them gratify our ambitions or serve our agenda or ratify our pre-existing positions or set us about above others or foster the illusion that we are the ones in charge. I think this is what the young fiance was reacting to. Jesus faced those temptations. He came through them. Love the phrase, angels came and ministered to him. How about us? How do we face the tests that come to us in the wilderness of our lives? Where are we giving our hearts? Which God do we serve? Is it the God we see in the mirror? The best answer I know to pass in these tests is and I'm working on this in my own spiritual journey, the best thing I know to say to do is be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to try to do what he did. When tempted to go the easy route to turn stones into bread for immediate gratification, Jesus chose another way, the way of the cross. He invites us to do the same. When tempted to test whether God was asleep at the wheel, Jesus showed trust that says, I may not know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future. He invites us to do the same. When tempted to gain influence for himself, Jesus embraced the deep love of God, which we express in worship, love which, said he, was, which he said was inseparable from love of neighbor. He asks us to do the same. The test for Jesus is a test for us, an examination in a season of self-examination. How will we live out our faith in the world, especially where the foibles of people of faith are on full display? What do our lives say in word and action about who we think God is? And where are we giving our hearts? My friends, may this Lent be an occasion for each one of us and all of us together to grow spiritually, to grow in grace, choosing the power of love over the love of power because our, as our presiding bishop repeats, in a kind of test, if it isn't about love, it isn't about God. Amen.